stand and welcome Mike Connell this morning. Uh, Apostle Mike Connell, come and, take, come and take it away. God bless you. Thank you so much. Here we are. You. Thank you. Oh, turn it on. Yeah, that's it. Now, cool. Okay, let's give Jesus a clap. He's the one who rescued us. He broke every bondage and every yoke. He paid a price with his life that we could enjoy freedom. We honor you, Lord. We owe it all to you. We give you thanks. We give you glory. What a privilege. What a privilege. How we love you, Lord, and honor you. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Please be seated. Wonderful to be with you. And this is the first time I've been in the tent. I thought it was going to be hard going, but now it's glamping. I can see it's really upgraded tent ministry, not the sawdust on the floor like the old days. So such a joy to be with you, and thank you for the invitation to be here. And uh, thank you all of those who have given up time. Your time is very important, and uh, I value that you've come. And we trust that the Lord will really help you uh, and uh, minister to you. You're going to really get some eye opening of the uh, understanding of this area in this realm. We're entering into the season of great harvest, and as I'll raise a little bit later, there will also be an, an increase in uh, demonic activity in the end time, and so the church needs to be ready. No use waiting till people come to solve the problems. We've just started to see a great flood of people coming in, and the level and uh, ex extent of demonization is, uh, is, seems larger than we've come across before. And uh, so we just need to understand that uh, there's just a time for the church to prepare. So uh, I'm going to do one little bit of advertising. I've got a website, MikeConnellMinistries.com. That's just my name with .com. And uh, there are all kinds of free materials and resources and messages and downloads of notes and manuals and so on. So please go on and help yourself and recommend if you want to. Uh, also on Kindle, uh, I've got a whole range of books there as well. So I don't carry books around with me. I'm not into selling stuff. So that's why it's a one-off. <laughs> so uh, I think there's about 30-odd books on Kindle. And uh, they are basically uh, transcripts and, uh, or downloads of notes I've used in messages. So they're not, I sat down and wrote a fancy book. No, my son just got the messages and got them transcripted, put them together. And there's a whole range of material. They're all quite cheap priced too. So uh, I, we wanted to make it available to as many people as possible. So I encourage you to get online, see what's available, download, and away you go. You can also get printed copies of the books. So printed copies are available. You just order them through Amazon, order the print copy. And uh, they come to you easily. Well, okay, well, we've, uh, it's hard to know just in, in a few days what to cover. So we're going to uh, cover a range of topics that we sat down and worked out. The first topic today is uh, Jesus' ministry and deliverance. The ministry of Jesus and deliverance. And uh, so I want to just start by a scripture, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, uh, 6 and uh, 7 and 8. I'm using a new Bible, so I'm trying to find my way around it at the moment. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced in your brethren in the world." So this introduces us to the reality of the spirit realm. And uh, Peter is writing out of his experience of being overcome by the spirit realm. In Luke 22, we won't go into it right now, but we find in Luke 22, Jesus uh, spoke and said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. The word desire means 
to come and request permission to be able to shake up his life. And uh, I haven't got time in this, this series to go into that whole realm of the legal system that happens in the spirit world. But basically we see then that access was given, permission was given for a demonic spirit to harass him. But Jesus prayed his faith would not fail and that when he's converted, he would strengthen his brethren. And so here he is strengthening his brethren. And he's coming now out of personal experience. And so I want to just open this verse for you to raise your awareness of an unseen spirit realm around us. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, uh, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist him steadfast in faith. So first he gives a warning. Then he gives directives. And uh, then we'll move from there into Jesus' ministry and start to have a look at the same thing in Jesus' ministry. So we see, first of all, he says, your adversary. That word adversary is the word an opponent in a law court. It refers to a legal system. It refers to a person who is making an accusation or put it in today's terms, you've turned up in court and the prosecutor accused you of speeding. So he's saying, there is an, you have, he's writing to the church, you have an adversary. The word devil is the word meaning literally the accuser. You have a, a, an accuser, adversary, a, an opponent in law using the law against you. And it says he roams around like a roaring lion. Now, the word roam around means literally to circle around you, observing you. Circle around you, observing you. And then it says, seeking whom he may devour. So the word seeking means to make plans or strategies against you. So in this verse, he opens our eyes to the unseen spirit realm. Now, the devil personally is not interested in you. The spirit world is structured to copy the world of the spirit God set up. So it's constructed of layers or ranks of authority and positions in the spirit world. And he says, so for basically for us, the only demons we have to deal with are pretty well low-level ones. And so he says, now you have an adversary. So putting it in a simpler language, on a day-to-day basis, 24-7, you are constantly under observation by demonic spirit beings. And they watch your activities and behavior and responses, planning and considering how they can take advantage of your weak areas, access your life to bring destruction. It's quite interesting when you put it into simple language, isn't it? Now, it's not to make us demonic conscious, but it's to make us aware of a spirit world that's very real and a conflict that all of us are involved in. Paul writing to Timothy, uh, in, two, in 2 Timothy 2, he says, as a good soldier and your hardness that you might please him who called you to warfare. Uh, in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, it tells us, now, the, now it talks about our warfare, we warfare not against flesh and blood. So the struggles of life are never about people. They work through people, but that's not where the origin is. Our wrestling and our warfare is against unseen spirit beings who operate in the invisible spirit world. So just as a way of introduction then, we see very clearly the Bible reveals a hidden spirit realm. Now, most of us 
this is an area we don't have a lot of understanding. But the spirit world works off laws and principles exactly the way the natural world look, works. So when you look in the natural world, the natural world is a shadow of the real thing. And when we look, we think it's all real and the other's a bit hazy and fairy, airy-fairy, but actually the physical world was created from the spirit realm. Therefore, this is just the image, the other is the substance. If you can see it, it's temporary. The unseen is what is eternal. Or to just use another way of describing it, if you were to stand outside on a clear night and see all the vast universe, that's just a little extension of the vastness of the spirit realm. So the Bible gives us glimpses into it, and there's a lot that could be taught about it, but I want to just today focus around just the ministry of Jesus and also open up and teach about the uh, kingdom of God and deliverance and then look then at legal rights and how the spirit realm uses legal rights to gain access to people and torment them and then what we can do to be free from that arena. Okay, so, uh, so we'll just continue then. So I want you to look with me then at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. And uh, we see here, it tells us, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So notice very clearly, Jesus is the express image of the Father. Jesus came as a son to undo the damage another son had caused. We'll come into that a little bit later. Jesus as a son was the express image of his father. Jesus as a son had an assignment or a work to do. Jesus as a son also had to go through a process of growth and maturity. At the end of his ministry, he was able to say, I have finished the work you gave me to do, but he had not been to the cross yet. So clearly we see here in this scripture what the work was. He said, for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested, or for this assignment, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So to destroy something that is invisible, you have to be able to expose it and then have authority and power to overcome it. So the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of deliverance is a truth encounter. Primarily, it's a truth encounter. People need revelation of the truth because they've come under deception or a lie and then have found themselves in bondage. Two, deliverance is also a power encounter. So you can't just counsel away demons. There is actually a power encounter needed. And I can't overemphasize the need for that power encounter. We're going to examine that and then the how-tos of it uh, in another session. So deliverance then is about destroying the works of the devil. Destroying the works of the devil. Now, in order to do this, you need both authority and anointing. So we have a look in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And verse 38. Acts 10 and verse 38. And uh, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So notice it tells us there, Jesus was anointed. 
and people love to hear messages on anointing, but anointings are to fulfill assignments. Anointings are for, for assignments. And uh, so every son, one of the things that every son receives is an assignment from their father. So regardless of what the rest of the world does, it's your responsibility to discover your assignment and to finish the end of your life saying, Father, I finished the work you gave me to do, just as Jesus did. And whatever God has assigned you to or called you to do, and that'll vary from person to person, he will anoint you for that because God will always provide all you need to do the work you're called to do. He will always provide. That's what a father does. If a father directs a son to do something, he's then responsible to provide for him. But that provision is linked to being in alignment. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. Power is the thing very much missing from the church because there is a price for power. There's a price you pay to engage God and to be able to operate in power. Most people want to get it quickly, come up the front and want hands laid on them so they can get a quick quick touch, quick impartation. And uh, But impartation is a seed. If it's not nurtured and grown, it'll just soon wither away. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good. <clears throat> that means to be a distributor of the goodness of God to everyone. He acted as a son to represent his father. And uh, then we find it says, and uh, he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. The word oppressed means, it's, it's a Greek word, kata, down, duneskio, meaning power, spiritual power. So when you put it together, it's something like this, that demons exert spiritual force, <clears throat> spiritual power on people. <clears throat> Holds them down. They can't get up. You want to get up, but you can't get up. There's something you're held down in. There's a bondage that's very real. That's why frequently when you pray for people that get delivered, they say, I feel so much lighter now. Something was holding them down, and they got used to living it, and they began to believe the lie, well, that's just me. And there'll be some of you sitting here today, and there are many things you're in agreement with saying, that's just me. When actually, if you go to the Word of God, it is not you at all. It's a bondage that has been afflicted on you without you seeing. And you've learned to live with it rather than wrestle against it and overcome it. And sometimes we're just unaware of what has come into our life. And uh, when I ask if people need deliverance, most of them say no until you start to teach on it. And they're, oh, wait, wait a minute. So, so in other words, the truth opened their eyes to the reality of what was happening. And that made room then for the power of God to set them free. That's why we must always proclaim the truth, declare the truth, minister truth. It always involves truth. If you just pray for people to set them free and you don't minister a truth encounter, then what happens is they usually flop back into their bondage. They go back into it quite easily. So deliverance, while it is a truth encounter and a power encounter, then we must also embrace the freedom journey. That freedom is a journey. In the Old Testament, uh, in uh, Exodus 23, God said to them, here's all the land, I give you all this promised possession, but you will take it little by little. So in other words, <clears throat> it's a process. 
It's a process, our freedom. That's why on the journey, because we're in a warfare, we often need ministry or prayer. Not just for the things that were in our past that we've never resolved, but as we go on the journey, things surface because God has you on a path to maturity. As a son, <clears throat> you're called to intimacy with Father. You're called to fulfill an assignment He's given you, but you're also called to be transformed to become like Jesus, and that is a freedom and a heart journey. It's a change process God takes us through, and He uses warfare to do it. You all got so quiet now. <laughs> okay, so let's have a look at Jesus' first encounter then. And uh, Jesus healed all who were oppressed of the devil, set him free. Okay, let's have a look in chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, and let's have a look at an example of it happening. There's many examples of deliverance in the Bible, and uh, this is, I think, probably the earliest one. And we find that Jesus has, uh, uh, had, had been anointed with the Holy Spirit, then he'd gone through a preparation process to operate in power, and now Luke 4, he's returning in the power of the Spirit. And uh, we find there, as we go down, he has come uh, now into a, uh, in verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbaths. So Jesus had a habit of turning up for churches and uh, church meetings. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his teaching was with authority. He preached under the anointing. As he preached, the anointing was released. And now in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him. It did not hurt him. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And his fame, or the report of him, uh, went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, notice a number of things in these stories. I encourage you to look at each story of deliverance because it opens up insights. There were multitudes that were delivered, but some stories have been selected, and they all contain insights to the ministry of deliverance. So the first thing you notice is it's in a synagogue. And it's on a Sabbath day. In the synagogue would be people who are believers. These are covenantal people. So the first thing we see is that Jesus' first encounter with deliverance takes place in a church setting among believers. It was not something among unbelievers. It's in a church setting among believers, the man who came to worship God. And so he's seated in the congregation there and secretly, out of sight, unknown to the majority of people, he was wrestling with a hidden problem. He had a problem of bondage to an unclean spirit. He was in bondage to sexual sin, in bondage to fantasies, in bondage to spirits that defiled him through number of activities he was involved in. So he's coming to worship God because his heart is towards God because he wants to be there, but he is tormented and afflicted by failure and condemnation due to sexual sin. And this is a problem widespread in our culture, and it's a problem we have to address. We'll address it with a particular session a little later on in the week. So he is struggling there. Now, as Jesus is preaching, 
then the anointing is being released, and the anointing causes torment to the demons. And the demon flushes out angrily, and he begins to reveal his presence. Now, demons operate in darkness. They do not like to reveal their presence. They will only flush out into the open when they're confronted or when the anointing and presence of God is very high. And so when there's an increased level of anointing, they sometimes flush out and then they manifest. That means they reveal their presence. <laughs> they reveal their presence, like I say. <clears throat> perfect illustration and perfect timing. So the Bible tells us it was an unclean spirit, <clears throat> meaning that it identifies the strong man. And we can tell from the way the spirit spoke that there were many spirits there. Leave us alone. What have we to do with you? So when people need deliverance, often it's not just a single demon. There can be a number of spirits operating as a group under a strong man or the spirit that opened the door. So you have to remember when you're doing deliverance that you're not going to be dealing with just one demon. There will often be a cluster and sometimes a number of clusters, groups working together. We'll see that a little later in Jesus' teaching. And uh, the unclean spirit cried out, what have we to do? What have you to do with us? Jesus, the Holy One of God, have you come to torment us? Now, you notice the demons recognize who Jesus is. No one else in the congregation recognized who he was. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. When people looked, all they saw was a man preaching. And they could not understand or see the spirit realm. When the demons looked at him, they didn't look at him from physical realm. They looked at him from the spirit realm. They saw not his physical out, uh, outworking, but they saw, which would be like a mist, they saw the spirit man. They saw his true identity. So demons see who you truly are. Even if you don't know who you truly are, they see who you truly are. And not only that, they recognize the level of authority you carry. They recognize the anointing on your life. They also can recognize if there are breaches in your life or openings caused by sin. I remember taking, uh, I got a, had to go and do a deliverance on a guy, and, and it was a bit of a shock. It was one of my early encounters, and I got to the doors part open, and I saw the guy on the floor, a very big fella. He was about, about my height, but he was very big, about 16 stone or something like that. And the moment I saw him, we locked eyes. I realized he was a demon. I couldn't stop it. I confronted the demon, and the guy just then flew up in the end did a backflip and then started to come towards me, see? So I prayed, and there was a measure of deliverance, but he began to manifest. He got onto alcohol and began to manifest. Wife asked me to come around. I brought another guy from the leadership team in the church, and this was early days. I was still learning. Now, when we came there, the guy stood in front of me and began to threaten me, and uh, he, he held up a, a, a lemon, uh, sorry, an apple, and in his left hand, he said, I'm going to crush you like this. He just squished it. Now, that's not easy to do. Next pulp. Then he picked up a chair and he held it in front of my face and he pulled the legs and he said, I'm going to pull you apart like this. And I'm thinking of wishbones at Christmas. And I think, oh my. This is... So he was putting on a display of strength, unusual strength to intimidate. And I just rose in my spirit, looked him in the eyes, commanded the demon to release him. And he just fell over backwards. And then he stood up again. He looked at the guy who was with me and he began to laugh. 
And then he began to talk about what this guy was doing privately that no one had any idea about. And so the man went red in the face and I said, I just think you're not ready for this kind of ministry. Just, it's not safe for you to be here. You need to leave me to do it. So, so one, the point I'm trying to make is, while we are invisible to one another because we're veiled with flesh, the spirit realm sees you as you really are, recognizes who you are, recognizes you if you're a, resp- uh, a representative of Jesus. I was in a meeting in Taiwan and um, it was an amazing time, and there's deliverance happening. And my daughter was with me. She was worshiping, and the Lord said, and she said, Lord, I want to see what's going on in the spirit realm. And he said, well, turn around and look. And she said, I don't want to turn around. I'm crying. I'm going, no, no, turn around and look. And uh, he, she said, well, can't you just, just show it to me now? And he said, no, I don't want to show it that way. And she turned around and opened her eyes. And the moment she looked into the, the meeting, she saw not, she had an open vision, not just saw the room of people, but also saw into the invisible spirit realm. She said, I could see the demons on people. I said, what are they doing? She said, well, they were holding on and covering their eyes to stop them seeing. They were covering their ears to stop them talking. They were covering their mouth to stop them speaking. And they were gripping different parts of their body. And I said, what else? She said, they were terrified. I said, what were they terrified? I said, well, I looked where you were. She said, I couldn't see you. All I could see was just a, a blazing ball of light, like fire. And I could see that actually Jesus was manifesting his presence through you as you ministered. And that was all they could see. And all of their eyes were fixed on you. And she said, every time you began to command, she said, I saw almost like a wave of water would go through the meeting and then things would be swept off people. So that's an open. I share those stories because helpful for you to understand because we somehow get limited to just see what we can see in front of us and don't think to look deeper and look at the hidden things. Okay, so there it is. We see him. So he manifested and uh, he was terrified. He clearly terrified of Jesus. And uh, Jesus then revealed his ministry of deliverance. He noticed how Jesus deals with him. He just asserts authority and power. Be quiet. Come out. And that's it. Now, there's a lot more to deliver. Well, we could finish the conference. That's it. Just be quiet, come out. There you go. That's how you do it. <laughs> there's a bit more than that, though. But uh, that's just the manifestation. There's a lot more to it than that. And, uh, and the demon, it, notice it, it threw him on the ground. So it protested. So deliverance will always be a confrontation. Now, I notice there are people like to use styles of prayer that avoid that confrontation. Now, that's not how Jesus did it. So let's just see how Jesus did it and look into the Bible for insight, then begin to develop a model for doing deliverance that incorporates those things. It is a real confrontation. Notice also Jesus didn't tell the deacons, get rid of the guy, take him out. He actually addressed it openly. Because what reason? Because he wanted everyone to see the reality of the spirit world suddenly now confronting, confronted by the kingdom of God. And so they were seeing the kingdom of God in operation, a greater kingdom overcoming an inferior kingdom. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, it's awesome stuff. <laughs> okay, so then, so this is an example of deliverance. Notice that they were amazed. Whoa, never seen that before. 
And uh, they spoke among themselves, what word is this? With authority and power, he commands the demons. So notice Jesus had authority, exousia is the word, meaning the delegated right to speak and act as God's representative. Delegated right to speak and act on behalf of God. So it's exousia. You can only have exousia if you're under authority. You want authority? Come under authority. And this is where a lot of people would love to grow in their ministry and don't realize the need to deepen their surrender and yielding to the authority of Christ. The second thing you have was power, which is the word dunamis, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, which goes with authority. There's a price to pay for power, and uh, we continually hunger for more of it and believe for a great outpouring. So that raises then, well, what is deliverance then? Deliverance then is the spiritual freedom of a person who's had demonic influence and bondage that affected them mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. So it's the action of breaking demonic yokes and setting people free from demonic prisons. That's deliverance. I love it. We're born for this. We're just, we're just born for this. You cannot believe how alive you get inside when you do deliverance. You just, you just can't believe how alive you come inside. I can remember standing in a meeting where there were hundreds of people all over the place, manifesting, demons coming out screaming. I thought, my God, I was born for this. <laughs> Somebody stop me. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. I love it. The bigger, the better. And uh, so, so if we have a look at just want you to look in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. Matthew 3 and verse 16. Demonic infestations are massive problems, like cockroaches. Man, it's awful you have cockroaches. Blimmin' things. They, they, you just uncover them and they scurry. They run like crazy to get out of the light and into the darkness. Yeah? And so that's what it is. So let's have a look in Matthew 3 and verse 16. And, uh, well, here we are, 3.16. Here we go, 3 and verse 16. And uh, when you've been, mm, no, that's not it. I got the wrong verse there. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. They brought to him many that were demonized. They brought to him many that were demonized. So I've just got the wrong reference there. Probably, I'll just try one more time. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can look it up. It says that they brought to him many that were demonized or possessed with demons. Many, the word many means multitudes. So this was a widespread problem in Jesus' day, a widespread problem. And uh, many, many people had demons. And it says he cast them out. The word cast out is the word ek bellow, from cast or hurl, hurl out from. So, so, so to cast out a demon is to hurl it out from its hidden position. And nothing kind of mousy or weak about that, is it? It's like a bouncer on a, on a pub door, and someone's playing up, and they grab by the scruff of the neck and hurl them out. It's, it's actually quite an assertive action. He cast them out, hurled them out by spiritual force, not by physical force, but he removed them by force. So the demons that were inside the man were then cast out of the man. Don't you love that? Uh, and Mark 1 and verse 39, there's another reference to it. Uh, Mark 1 and verse 39. And uh, it tells us there, Mark 1 and verse 39, he was in the synagogue casting out demons. How about that? For those who think it shouldn't be in the church, Mark 1 and verse 39, 
he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So, in other words, everywhere he went, he, he ministered in deliverance. Everywhere he went. It was in the synagogues. It was everywhere. It didn't matter where it was. Sometimes it was casually by the wayside. Sometimes people came to him. Sometimes it was in big crowds with mass deliverance. But wherever he went, deliverance was in his ministry. He introduced deliverance. In the Old Testament, there's no deliverance. If people are demonized severely, they kill them. There was no remedy for it. So one of the key miracles Jesus instituted was the miracle of deliverance. Deliverance is a working of miracles. It is a supernatural demonstration of the power of God overcoming an invisible or hidden kingdom. So you want to be working miracles? Get to it and roll up your sleeves and get involved in deliverance. <laughs> How about that? So, yeah, what's that? Ah, Matthew 4.34. Well, I'll go back to it then. 424. How about that? Okay, let's go back to that scripture, Matthew 424. Thanks, dear. Matthew 4 and verse 24. See if I can find it there. And uh, this is what it says. There it was. In verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. His fame went out through all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various disease and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him. Notice that word that they use there is the word possessed. Now, you may have a different translation. They use a different word, but the King James and New King James and maybe other versions use the word possessed, a very uh, confusing word. It does not help us understand deliverance to use that word. It is rare you'll ever find someone possessed. That's a Hollywood term mostly. Uh, and so they have Hollywood horror movies and they have demon-possessed people. But actually, that's not really what we see, and it's not what the Bible uses. It was when they translated, that was the word. <gasps> we use that word, you see, but it actually is not really the words that we use. So when you go through these, uh, the, the Bible and look there, and particularly when they use the word or translate it, possessed, it's usually <clears throat> a number of other words. So the most common word that's used is the word daemonadzai, meaning to be exercised by a demon or troubled or shaken up or disturbed by a demon. In Mark 20, uh, Matthew 4.24, uh, when it says there were many possessed, it means many who had demons. They just had demons. Like you have a cold, you have a stomach bug, you have a demon. So they're not treating it like it's some big dramatic thing. It's just it was quite common that people struggle with demons. We come in a Western culture which has a secular worldview, a natural worldview, but the majority of the world, including the uh, culture of uh, Israel, it has a spirit worldview. So they understood the spirit realities were very real and they saw them very, very openly. So a second word that's used is the word, uh, Greek word echo, meaning to hold on to or wear like a garment or to cling to someone. So, so as I describe these words, you get the idea of what demons do. They are unseen spirit beings. They're invisible. They have an evil character. Notice here, then they trouble or disturb people. That's, uh, that in, in Acts 16, 16, they hold on to people. There was a woman who had a spirit of divination, a woman possessed with a spirit of divination. The word possessed was to hold on to. They, she was held on to by a demon that communicated with her and talked with her. 
And uh, there's another word that uses the word oclio. It's found in Acts 5.16, and it talks about people being possessed with demons. But the word means to be mobbed or harassed or crowded. So you imagine being in a crowd and you're being pushed around. You can't kind of get where you want to get. That's the kind of word that's used. So notice as you see the words used for people that had demons, you begin to get the picture of what they are. They uh, can enter a person's life. They mob a person. They push us. They vex us or harass us. They hold on or cling on. They don't go unless they're forced to go. Uh, because they desire a, a, a place to express themselves. We saw in Acts 10.38 the word katadunistio, meaning Jesus uh, exercise dominion, uh, it means to exercise force over someone and hold them down. So there's another word. So, so wherever you see the word possessed, go back and find the original language and you'll see what it means. And it has the meaning then of spirits have mobbed someone, pressure someone, harassed someone, disturbed someone, uh, are holding onto them, clinging onto them like a garment or holding them down with spiritual force. That's what demons do. So they affect our emotions and uh, create uh, turmoil and emotions. They affect our thought life. They can affect your body. They can affect your whole ability to function in things of God. So it's important to be free, very important to be free. In uh, Ephesians 2, verse 2, it describes them as energizing problems in our life. Though The devil works in those children of disobedience. That word works is to energize problems in people's lives. So many of the problems people have, they cannot overcome them because they're energized by hidden spirit beings and they must be delivered. But to do that, we've got to really deal with the problems as well. So there are a number of stories in the Bible of people uh, demonized. And uh, so we want to look then, I won't go into all of them, I may pick one up at the end if I've got time. So why is the ministry of deliverance so important? It's very neglected, but I think in these days we'll start to see people understand this is important for us to help people. Why would you, a person comes in terrible need and God has entrusted you the power to deal with the problem and you just comfort them and send them away with the same problem. This is very distressing for God that the church doesn't embrace the ministry that he gave to us. And so there's a number of reasons why the ministry of deliverance is important. Let me give them to you. Uh, here's the, so uh, why it's so important. And uh, number one, it's a manifestation of the kingdom. It's the way the kingdom is demonstrated, or one way it's demonstrated. Matthew 12 and verse 28, Matthew 12 and verse 28, he said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Now we pray, thy kingdom come, but one manifestation of the kingdom of God coming is demons are cast out. Or if I just describe it a little differently, where a demonic kingdom and rule has been established, the kingdom of God coming overpowers it and and removes it from its uh, possession. You see images of that in the Old Testament where God said, go in and possess the land. To possess the land mean overpower the inhabitants and drive them out. And so you see a model of it in the Old Testament with the battles of Israel to receive their inheritance, their land. But for us, then the land represents the promises of God, our maturity, our freedom in Christ. And we have to do what they did, little by little, go in and overpower what's there and deal with it. 
Some of you have been living with problems, demons occupying a part of your life and bringing pain and suffering and torment, and you've put up with it. You know, and, and God spoke through Joshua saying, why be slack? Go up and possess that land. Go up and overcome that issue. It's hindering your freedom. It's not who you are. It's what you got used to living with. It's because you were fooled into believing it's who you are, and this is how I am. And so you were deceived into believing that. And so many times the bondages we have have not got very visible outcomes like massive sins that easily people see, but they've got torment that goes on inside. And uh, I had a girl recently, and uh, she had uh, become suicidal and, and admitted herself into the psych unit was there, you know, for about a week, all told, but she got into a bit of trouble because she was confronting her. Why don't you help me? I've admitted myself in here. Why won't you help me? Why won't you give me strategies how to deal with the problem that I'm troubled with? And there was just no help. So when she came out, we've had, I've had two sessions with her, and she said, all of that torment has stopped. It's all gone. I've lived with it all my life. It's all gone. And got, she said, I can't wait for my third session when there's these last areas to deal with, and then uh, the freedom will be complete. She'll be able to get on with the life. And it's just, I've seen, when I mean, there's so many stories of people that have lived suffering for so long, and not just people within the church, pastors as well. I had a pastor come to me, and, and when he was seven, he'd been sexually abused. And he'd lived with the anger and the trauma and the shame and the demonic defilement all his life. And after we had prayed and ministered to him, his wife noticed he was different. His children noticed he was different. His church noticed he was different. Without him saying a word, they could see he was different. And, he, and, he, and I said, how are you feeling? And he said, the voices have all gone. I said, you never told me about voices. <laughs> what are the voices? And he said, well, I've had my mind barraged with thoughts that pressure me that I'm no good, not good enough, or thoughts about his value. Yeah. Wow. And, and he said, I've lived with that, and I've been angry about that all my life. And he said, it's just, I listen for it. It's not there anymore. So he was under pressure in his thought life and emotions constantly until he was delivered. And it was just in one session. So Okay, so deliverance is a manifestation of the reality of the kingdom of God, first thing. And, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the first thing, uh, why the ministry is so important, is Jesus ministered deliverance everywhere he went. That's the first reason. Jesus did it. He wants us to do the same stuff he did. So let's get busy. Don't put it into a box and say it for special people. These signs will follow all who believe. Now cast out demons in my name. Second is, it's a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Third is the ministry of deliverance. Um, without the ministry of deliverance, people suffer, are tormented, and lack spiritual authority. So until you're free, you can't assert authority easily in that area. And so uh, people remain in bondage. They suffer. So many people sitting in church suffering. And then they're looking desperate. I found when we had a great move of deliverance at the beginning of our church, so I had people come from all over the country, all coming because they heard this freedom. I've still got it happen. They really contact me from all over the world, everyone wanting help. It's just such a dearth of deliverance. So uh, why would we just build an exciting environment and enthuse people and inspire them and not free them? You know, because you get them wheel spinning in church, and the next week, by the time they Monday, Tuesday, they're back and they're, they're stuck. They're going nowhere. So, so we cannot just 
uh, approach this thing that we just have wheel spilling inspiration on Sunday and then people really don't know how to engage and get going and deal with the stuff the rest of their lives. Amen? Okay, so the third, third reason it's so important is, uh, <clears throat> because, sorry, the fourth reason is because deliverance, Jesus taught deliverance is the children's bread. In Matthew 15, 26, he talked about deliverance and he said it's the children's bread. Now, the word children means the people who are in covenantal relationship with God. For people who are in covenantal relationship with God, deliverance is bread. And bread is what makes you strong. It was their staple diet term. So if I was in Asia I'd be, and, and I was pre- preaching there, we'd be saying, we'd be saying not uh, deliverance is the children's bread, deliverance is the children's rice. And that all say, oh, rice. Everyone knows that rice is the staple diet. Everyone has rice. It's staple diet stuff. So when Jesus is saying it's the children's bread, He's saying this is staple diet. This is what is your food. It makes you strong. It makes you healthy. And if you do deliverance, then you become stronger. So he said deliverance is the children's bread. Here's another reason. Okay, here's the next reason. Jesus intentionally trained others to do it. He intentionally trained others to do it, his disciples. In Mark 3, verse 13 and 14, it says he called them to be with him. So the first thing is our time in the presence of God that he might send them, apostolically commission them. Now, when we hear the word apostolically commissions, and read the next verse as well, they came to him, verse 14. He pointed to all that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. So notice here, with him. So the first thing is he, he drew them to live with him, to experience his lifestyle, his prayer, how he lived his life, and then how he did ministry. So they were to be observers of it, and then he was to prepare them, that he might send them out. And the word send out is the word apostello. Now, it's, uh, it's a word you can't translate into English because we have, it doesn't, there's no one word would help us understand the meaning of that word. So they just used the word apostle or apostolic. And so then we get into church, apostle, apostolic, whoa. Listen, you've got to get out of all of that stuff. You've got to get down to what it's all about. And those who are gifted as apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, their primary function is to equip the saints. If they're not equipping, they're not functioning in their role. They're just being self-important. And not only that, they're called to mature the saints. That's a bit we don't like because that means getting into your life. So it's not just about equipping. Come along and just get fired up how to do this and do that. It's actually about maturing so we grow up and don't remain children anymore. So that's the word. Anyway, so the word apostolo uh, it is used as original word, the language. If we use the word oh, apostello, they'd say, whoa, because they knew what it meant. So what it meant was a Roman general was commissioned to go into a foreign territory where there were enemy troops engaged in controlling the territory, if he was sent out and commissioned to go out into that territory, he would be commissioned to subdue the enemy, overcome them, and disempower them, and establish a new culture, a new legal system. Now, that's apostello. To go into a a territory that's spiritually occupied by demons overcome them and disempower them and establish the culture of the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom in lives. 
So you don't separate deliverance then from the ministry of the kingdom because it involves you, you're engaged in a conflict, confrontation situation. So when it says apostello, he's saying, notice he didn't send out pastors. That word send out has got a distinct meaning to go in apostolic anointing and authority into the territory, subdue the demons, establish a culture of the kingdom in the lives of people. In other words, change the culture. That's why he raised up apostles. He himself was an apostle. He raised up apostles. Apostles have the ability to operate in all of the five giftings and to bring them all together and empower them. That's why apostles. And so he's saying, I want to send you out. Now, God is looking for the church to become apostolic so that in your thinking, you're sent. You're not just in your community. You're sent there by God. You're sent in your workplace. You're sent to meet with people. You know, idea? So he said he might send them out. And here, just read the next verse, 13, 15, verse 15, Mark 3, 15. To have power or authority, that word literally is. Sometimes they mistranslate the words, and you've got to check the original, what they meant by it. And the word there is the word exousia, authority, to heal sicknesses or power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Now notice there that in all of these passages, they refer to God sending people out. In other words, Jesus had in mind, I'm only going to do it for three years. After that, you guys have got to do it. So he trained them to do that. Preach the kingdom, not just preach an inspirational message. Teach about the king and his kingdom. We'll touch on that next week, next, uh, next session. Touch on the king and the kingdom. Most people don't think like kingdom. They just think church. And when you confuse church and kingdom then you actually get confused about what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about a king and a kingdom. He's teaching about a whole new realm of living your life. And that's an important part of the ministry of deliverance, another king. Okay, and uh, so there we see it. Then notice in, uh, in also in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 8, Jesus then sent them out and gave them authority and power to heal sicknesses, cast out demons. So he not only showed them what to do, he prepared them to be sent out, and then he sent them out. And then he got them to come back and report what they did, and then he upgraded them and helped them, and so on. And, and, and we think, well, that's just the apostles. No, no. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, he did the same thing with 70. So he sent 70 out in pairs. Same, th- same deal. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. Proclaim the kingdom of God and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Not just talky-talky, dewey-dewey. You actually have to engage people with the real problems they have and let them see the reality of your ministry. <clears throat> there, of course, is the problem, is the lack of power, the lack of authority. But that has to do with the lack of alignment and passion and seeking God. A lot of it is connected. So there's the, there's the mission. And finally, of course, Jesus uh, authorized and mandated the church to do deliverance. Uh, we see that in Mark 16, verse 15. And it says, he, he said he said to the church, go, you know, preach the gospel, make disciples. And he said, these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. So the first sign, he said, will, will accompany the, the proclaiming of the kingdom is the casting out of demons. 
When we went to Hastings, I didn't have a clue how to start a church. I mean, I've been pastoring, but, you know, I just you know, didn't really know too much at all, never been trained. In our days, we weren't trained and didn't go to schools. They just threw you in. And, you know, if you survived, you had to pray, seek God, and, and hold on and persevere in spite of how hard it was. And then you had to, obviously, you must be called by God. That's how it was. It was terrible, really. But, you know, yes, it was awful. But anyway, that's what it was. So I turned up in town to a church that had, you know, about 10 people and thousands of dollars of debt and didn't really know what to do. But I did know what, I did know some things to do. So, um, and the church was going bankrupt, so there's no way they could support our family or anything. We had six children, so we, we just felt, well, if God's called us to go, then if we're sent to the city, then he'll provide everything we need. And so sure enough, we had some pastors uh, uh, help support us for six months while we got going. I thought, well, the first thing you got to do is get prayer going. So we got prayer going, prayer and fasting. Second thing we got going, we ramped up the worship, got that worship cranked up and uh, lifted up and got it bold and, 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 uh, and strong and, uh, and uh, then preached. Even if I had two people there, I preached like there's a thousand. And, and, and moved in the spirit. I thought, that's all I really know to do. And then have fun. So we, we had fun. It was a bit religious. They had this sort of fancy carpet with nice little crown things on it. And they called it, you'd come in and they called it the sanctuary. And it was, it was like this, you know, we're going to the sanctuary. And I'm thinking, there's a religious spirit here. I need to get rid of it. So we bought in two barbecues and had a barbecue and had fun and had a party and lots of laughter. That was the end of the, the, the sanctuary. You know, and just had to break that sort of religious thing. So we prayed and prayed and prayed, and I walked and prayer walked around the city. And then suddenly God began to move upon the church, and we had an outbreak of deliverance. Now, when it happened, my, my, my. Now, I'd never seen anything like it. I had lots of people upset with me, uh, inside and outside, uh, mainly the most upset one were the pastors. And, uh, and, uh, and we, we had every meeting that we had at nighttime. Uh, we had an altar call. The moment you touched anyone, demons would manifest. There was an outpouring of God. It didn't matter. You didn't even have to hear what all the problems were. You just laid hands on them, and demons would come out screaming. My goodness, it, the screaming. You can't believe how. We, I knew nothing. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, snakes, people fall on the ground. It got like a snake down to the back of the room. Whoa, look at that. I'm like a child in, a, in the mud. Just, you know, having an excited time. And people would ring me up and go off at me and whatever. I said, well, I'm having the greatest time of my life and people are getting set free and Jesus getting all the glory. I'm not giving this up for anything. I love this. This is the best, this is the best time we've had in years. And so we had this move went on for ages. And the church began to just grow like that. People would come to see what was happening. They'd come and they'd sit in the service. The moment I had the altar call, they'd kind of get up out of their seats. You think they're coming up? No, they're going to the back. They'd sit and stand at right at the very back and watch. And then all this stuff would happen. But, but it was the kingdom, kingdoms in conflict. It was the demonstration that the kingdom of our God is greater than the kingdom of darkness. We had gang members come in. We had people set free, people saved, all kinds of things. It was just the outpouring of God. This is what we need more of in the church, that exposure of what we're dealing with that's hidden and, and devious and behind the scenes. So let's just uh, perhaps finish one other thing, is at the end time, I believe there will be an increase in demonic activity. In one, uh, Timothy 4 verse 1, it says that in the latter days, there'll be many people uh, give way to deceiving spirits or seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. But this is, the, this is the tricky one here, and that's in Revelations 9, verse 1 to 3. Revelations 9, and perhaps we'll finish there. Revelation 9, verse 1 to 3. 
and talks uh, and is talking towards the end time. And notice what happens here where it describes this. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. Whoa. And smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit, and out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. To them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power, and command not to harden the grass of the earth or any green thing, and so on. And so notice there that there was a torment that they had. Now, he's talking now in the end times of the bottomless pit being opened, and like a, and the smoke is like numbers of demonic spirits unleashed into the earth in the end time. We have to get understanding of this ministry. We have to understand the realm of the Spirit and the glory of God. We have to be equipped to be able to handle this kind of thing. Amen? Wow. Yeah, I better finish there, and uh, we'll come back a little later and get the second session.